The Punisher finale of season two, episode 13, The Whirlwind. Welcome back, fellow defenders, to our finale discussion on The Punisher, season two, episode 13, The Whirlwind, the final episode of The Punisher on Netflix. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, fellow defenders. I'm one of your other hosts, John. Ciao, Bella. Rounding out the group, I am Chris. <laughs> I thought I'd put a bit of an Italian spin on it because we're saying goodbye to Pete Cascaloni. Yes, a fine farewell to Frank Castle, Steve Lightfoot and Pete Castiglione at the end of our season two discussion of The Punisher. Uh, we will obviously be talking about our thoughts at the end of the episode as to what we thought about the season as a whole and what we think about the cancellation of The Punisher. As we mentioned last episode, it has been confirmed by Netflix that there will no longer be any more Marvel Netflix shows. The Punisher has just finished with for us and the last season of Marvel Netflix will be Jessica Jones later on this year as all of the shows have now finished up with Netflix. Yes, but we will be back with Marvel's Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, which is out on the 8th of March. So it's very soon. Yep. Uh, and we will have a spoiler-filled review of that movie as well, as well as the second part of Infinity Wars Endgame. So yeah, there's still stuff to come on Defenders TV podcast, along with the Strange Tales comic uh, stuff um, as well. And, of course, Season Three of Jessica Jones, but yes. the uh, release of that is still to be confirmed. Exactly. So, so make uh, sure you stay subscribed to us on DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can go over and select any punishing or pacifist podcast catcher from our list over there. Anyone from Spotify to Apple Podcasts to Google Podcasts to Stitcher, uh, choose us over there and uh, listen to us talk about loads more Marvel stuff. But gentlemen, I think it's time to get into our thoughts about the final episode of Punisher. I think it is about time too. Yes. So before we jump in, Derek, do you want to give us the episode details for this one? Absolutely. In the noble tradition of Marvel Netflix, the showrunner Steve Lightfoot has put his stamp on the final episode of Series 2 of The Punisher as the writer for this episode. The episode is directed by Jeremy Webb. We've spoken about him a few times. He directed Judas Goat in Season 1 of The Punisher and also directed the episode this season at Trouble the Water. Really, really good episode this season. And this is the third and final Punisher episode that he has directed. Uh, he's also done a number of other Marvel shows over the time, um, did an episode of The Runaways and an episode of Legion, uh, also involved in Umbrella Academy, which, Chris, I know you were recommending before it even came oh, out. We've just started so it. So good. Yeah, just started it. Really enjoyed the first episode of the show. Uh, very, very comic booky, much more comic booky than anything we've seen throughout Punisher Season 2, of course. But, uh, but yeah, fun little show. Yeah, great uh, little episode one there that we saw recently. So can't wait to get to episode two of Umbrella Academy for sure. Yes, and if you are a fan of My Chemical Romance or just comic books in general, uh, this was written by Jared Wade, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance. Mm-hmm. Don't let that put you off. <laughs> if you're not he a My Chemical Romance He is an amazing <laughs> amazing comic book writer he's an amazing actually just writer in general to the point that i uh, was passing my uh, local comic book shop uh, over the weekend and uh, passed by and saw that they had the uh, the trade paperbacks back in mm-hmm. and i can't i don't know where my copies are i have read these years ago um but uh, actually uh, the full run back then i read it uh single issues i just don't know where they are i think i've lent them to someone mm-hmm 
It wasn't just Chris, I promise. No, it wasn't you guys actually. So I know because I know I'd find, get easily get them back off you. Uh-huh. Um, so I just rebought the trade paperbacks. Excellent. Because um, I'm going to sit down at some point over the next couple once I finish the the actual Netflix show and go dive back in and see what they changed and kind of do a backwards comparison, if you will. Excellent, excellent stuff. Yeah, that's another one that we're going to be jumping into in full once we finish up all of our discussions on the shows that we're covering for our podcast. John, do you want to tell us what Steve Lightfoot gave us with his final episode of The Punisher? Sure. Well, fellow defenders, I have an abridged and an unabridged version of my synopsis. I'll start with the abridged version because it's short, sharp, and sweet. Mm -hmm. The unabridged is a little longer, so you can always skip that if you want to. Contradictions abound. No bullet is left unspent. No hard, pointy metal rebar or canister is left unused. As season two comes to an explosive, smashy, punchy, and bloody conclusion. Nice. That's like the description that was on Netflix. It's just that short, sharp. Short, sharp, sweet. Exactly. What's the unabridged version, John? Here we go. Hold on to the seats. After witnessing Krista Dumont's fall and believing her dead, Billy Russo, full of rage, tries to kill Dina Modani in retaliation. He is shot by her and forced to escape from the police as they arrive. Badly wounded, Russo attempts to get help from a whiskey-swilling back-alley surgeon, who, true to his name, dumps Russo in a back-alley wheelie bin after taking all his money. As Russo awakes in the bin with his wounds still open and bleeding, the irony of his situation is not lost on his dark sense of humour. Elsewhere, and unbeknownst to Russo, both Madani and Dumont are still alive. As Krista awakes in hospital, she is visited by Madani, who forgets to bring flowers, chocolates, and a bunch of grapes, but remembers to bring lots of attitude. Meanwhile, a deal made between the Schultzes and Frank Castle to exchange David Schultz for Amy gets complicated, as Amy isn't held by the Pilgrim. Instead, Amy notifies Frank of Pilgrim's whereabouts. She is only kidnapped by the Pilgrim during the ensuing shootout between him and Frank. At the same time, Curtis goes off script to free David and turns him over to Mahoney. As the non-exchange of David and Amy gets crazy, Pilgrim and Castle engage in a brutal hand-to-hand fight that Frank wins. But he doesn't kill the Pilgrim after being asked by him to spur his sons. Instead, Frank uses the man in black to secure a path to the Schultz residence, where bullets go bang. Finally, as Russo takes shelter in Curtis's workplace basement, he waits for Curtis to sit with him until he dies. However, Curtis has called Frank, who, with no chit-chat, executes Russo offloading two bullets into his chest, killing him instantly. Three months later, after sending Amy to Florida to learn scuba diving, Frank resumes his duty as the Punisher, while Madani, conscience clear, works for the CIA, who she previously fought against. Happy ever after. (laughs) You might get a sense of my thoughts, fellow defenders, on this episode uh, from my slightly snidey synopsis. But, oh my God, that I think everyone's, has to be everyone's opinion. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Lots to talk about, though. Lots that happened in this episode and probably a lot that could have been spread over maybe three or four episodes to make it more interesting and maybe cut out some of the other stuff. Or maybe a whole season. Absolutely. Lots of quick moments in this episode to finish off all of the storylines. Let's kick into our original opening bullet point number one. Russo strangling Madani. Um, this is the pre-credit scene, uh, and I must admit, as we got to the end of this scene, I thought that was it. I thought actually they were just killing off Madani and Russo uh, in this in this moment. Yeah. We have the shootout in this tiny apartment. Madani 
scrambling for her gun on the ground, picking it up as Rusev bursts through the door and they have this shootout between the two of them. Uh, really good shootout, actually. Really enjoyed seeing this and seeing that Madani, obviously, after struggling a little bit in that hand-to-hand combat with Dr. Dumont last episode, um, not struggling at all with this battle with Russo, being quite evenly matched with the army-trained Russo as she puts three bullets in Yeah, I mean, I thought this was really amazing, and I thought it was a real statement uh, part where Russo and Madani have this fight, and you have the the three shots from Madani into Russo, and, you know, it, kind of his last breath, um, he manages to strangle her. And I, I thought this was, like, a really bold intent and statement at the start of this episode to be honest and maybe it's a bit why um if i'm honest fellow defenders i i suddenly as i watched the episode uh, i felt um a bit flat as the episode progressed because for me i thought you know this has super violence in it as a show and i thought that this really showed the consequences of that and Mm -hmm. i i thought that you know given Maybe they didn't know at the time, but also just given the fact that we know um, Marvel, Netflix, The Punisher will not be coming for a season three, that I thought this was a, a really interesting way to to finish um, these two really strong characters off uh, in this meaningful retaliation for Madani having also killed uh, Dr. Krista Dumont. So I mm-hmm. was like really, really... Um, shocked at this like it was a massive kind of surprise and i was thinking this is excellent and um, because i really did think that she had been killed and obviously that last uh that third bullet into the gut by madani as well just really seemed as though that was going to finish russo off as well and mm-hmm. um, so i thought this was really really uh a good opener yeah i'm right there with you guys in this i literally thought for a second that they had just I, I didn't think they'd killed Russo. I think they had killed Madani. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was like sitting there going, "Oh, that's bold." Yeah, like yeah, definitely. Okay, that that that's that's you, like you've given her a good storyline, and then you've given her an ending. Yeah, uh, something that would be remembered. Definitely. Exactly. And I know that we watch these episodes one episode at a time, but of course, you know, if you watch these back to back, episode 12 and episode 13 directly leading into each other, it's a really long scene with Madani as she's had the fight with Dumont for, you know, 10 minutes of the end of episode 12, leading into another fight and another battle with Rousseau, where he's on top of her, strangling her. And you see that movie trope effectively of her eyes turning red as she's dying from his strangulation, you know? Um, I think there was a point when myself and John were watching the episode where we got about 15 minutes into it and John was looking at the screen going, will somebody please die in this show? Yeah. Why is nobody of the main characters dying? Um, we're, we, it's been about three or four episodes since we've seen someone die. And then the reveal that Krista Dumont is still alive. It's like, hang on a second. Yeah. Why I, is nobody dying here? I, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of lost it a bit here because it was just, yeah, as you say, Derek, nobody dies. And I, I thought actually... As I watched it before I watched the, you know, the remaining part of the Punisher, I was like, this is, as you say, Chris, really, really bold. And I also think that structurally, uh, for the show, it kind of closes off Russo Madani and Dumont's storyline so yeah. that then we could have that remaining kind of, what, 50 minutes, 45 minutes with the Pilgrim, Amy, uh, the Punisher and the Schultzes to really get um, a closure on that. And instead we have a number of moments that just take you out of that 
because you're coming suddenly back to um, a hospital room or to Curtis's workroom and stuff like that. And it's just like, okay, it, it just really grated in the end for me a little. Mm-hmm. When we see Madani being woken up by Mahoney and then them having their little heart to heart while she's still kind of pulling herself up uh, off the ground, I was like, oh, okay. Um, that, that That's an interesting model. And yeah. then they were like, Mahoney basically says, oh, we found a load of blood um, down the stairs, through the corridor, and out into the street. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, did you follow it? <laughs> because he can't run that fast. Yeah. Literally, you send some cops walking, following the trail of blood on the pavement, they'd find him. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. They're going to go, they're going to do something. They'd like... Every part about this for me was we're we're gonna do something. Yeah. Wait, wait, we're gonna do something cool. Wait for it. Wait for yeah. it. It was literally they were the biggest Barney hyped man, basically from how I met your mother. Oh okay. Instead of going legendary, it's like legend, wait for it, huh. wait for it, wait for it for fifty minutes. Uh-huh. And we'll we'll talk about whether they actually continued with the dairy. At the end? Well, I'm going to give it a big compliment here because this did lead to probably the funniest scene that I have seen in the Marvel Netflix shows since probably Jessica Jones season one. Because you know how much I love Jessica Jones. You know how much I love her attitude and the, and the things that she says, her, her character. The scene where Russo has gone to the back alley doctor to get himself <laughs> fixed up. And the doctor's drinking whiskey like all of those tropey doctors do, you know, where he's trying to steady his hands and going, uh, going to him. Well, you don't want me not to drink whiskey. Look how shaky my hands are. If I drink whiskey, it'll be better. And you're going, okay. I guess this is how it gets patched up, like the Joker did in Batman kind of thing, you know. That's where they've always been going with Billy this season, is trying to turn him into the Joker for Batman, you know. So you're going, oh, okay, this is how he's getting out of it. And then Billy passes out from the pain, as the doctor said he was going to. And the doctor takes one look at the bag of cash, (laughs) dumps Billy in a dumpster and runs away with the cash. And Billy wakes up seeing his blood-soaked body once again and cracks a smile at how hilarious the situation is as he's about to go and die it's a nice flip on the trope and definitely the funniest thing i've seen in this show uh, which often lacks a sense of humor so i was quite happy that they did that and at least it led to a moment that i was kind of going all right well i can smile at that this this was awesome i have to say i mean and also just the poetic justice of russo in a bin um i think is is pretty pretty good here um and yeah i mean i was there going oh whiskey watch have no idea what kind of whiskey this was other than it is probably cheap back alley uh whiskey Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it was really good just that that look of the doctor as as russo passes out on the table and he just looks over and you've kind of got this big wedge of notes sticking out of the um gym bag Mm -hmm. i thought was was nicely done definitely yeah uh yeah that this for me was the the funny moment mm-hmm. and if these shows had continued i kind of want that doctor back <laughs> <laughs> for me that was like oh my god they're introducing a new turk uh-huh. like yeah. that was basically it's their own turk he's like he's funny he's witty he's got a, a serious drinking problem yeah. i could see frank going to him getting patched up i could see uh basically matt murdoch 
getting badly beaten, and because we have no night nurse. Well, absolutely, yeah. Like, you could basically go, he's the night nurse, and he looks after the villains and the heroes separately. Yeah, kind of. He, he's more like the anti-night nurse. Don't go anywhere near him if you have to get fixed up after being shot, yeah, because he just takes your money and runs. Like, what a great, <laughs> what a great moment. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, one other thing, I know you mentioned it there, Chris, a little bit about the conversation between Madani and Mahoney. We mentioned really early on in the season that... Why didn't they just go to New York law enforcement? And I'm so glad they made the decision to have that conversation, at least with Madani and Mahoney, where Mahoney says to her, you're going to stay out of this now. And she goes, yeah, I think I've kind of done my bit, right? And you're going, yes, that's what you should have been saying back in episode three, right? So I'm glad they had that conversation where she goes, yeah, I'm kind of done with this whole thing now. You take care of it. You've got the resources of the New York police department here. But she does technically kind of say don't give me my badge and gun after he says, look what I've found. Um, I'm I'm not doing Homeland Security. Now, obviously she is still Homeland Security until she resigns, but like there is that, that she's getting out of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which I thought was really good. Let's go on to one of the, one of my favorite moments, I suppose, from the episode. Bullet point number two, hotel shootout. Yeah, this was really good. Um, And to be honest, Amy, clever girl. Absolutely really clever to call Frank in instead of facing off uh, with the Pilgrim head-to-head. I really liked that. That just showed street smarts for me, and it it felt, you know, realistic. That's exactly what you would do. It's exactly what I would do. So um, it was definitely a big um, thumbs-up from me, as well as the hotel shootout in general. Like, it was just so nicely choreographed. Yeah, absolutely. I know, Chris, you were mentioning last episode that that was kind of the cliffhanger for Amy last episode is that she's standing outside the door with a shotgun and we were all going, uh-oh, has Frank created a monster here? I- I'm torn on this one, okay? So first of all, the, the actual choreograph shootout was fantastic. Yes, yeah, Like definitely. every part of this scene, including the elevators at the end, was fantastic. Um well, uh, yeah, okay, I'll talk about that one in a second. Go yeah, ahead. okay, okay. With like, I, I'm not talking about the the car driving part. I'm just talking about the elevator. Uh, I know where you're. I think I know where you're going. Nope, that's not where I'm going. Oh, but we'll talk about. Okay, it in a interesting. <laughs> so we different. Okay, this is going to be a fun one. Yep. So, for me, it showed character growth in Amy. Uh huh. Yeah. Because I really didn't want her knocking on the door, having the shotgun in his face, and him just kind of snatching her. Yeah. But that's essentially what happens anyway. <laughs> but she showed character growth because she called Frank in. Exactly. So I'm like, you did the right thing, but then you did the wrong thing. So kind of did you do the right thing at the end at all? <laughs> Ugh, you're a teenager. I can't be angry at you. You're just so darn cute, which little punisher. Um, so it was just... Uh, Okay, it was good because it led to this scene. Yeah. I suppose that's the best way I can put it. Yeah, and I have to say the actual fight itself where we have Frank going into um, the Pilgrim's room where he's been told that the Pilgrim is. He goes into the room, the bed's made, and then we see Pilgrim sitting on the other bed in the other bedroom that's been destroyed, the one that he was in with the hooker a couple of episodes ago. Um, so they have the shootout through a wall in between the two of them, and then what I think is one of the best moments of choreography they swap rooms, which I think is hilarious. As Frank goes out one door and comes into the other door, um, the pilgrim goes to the door that's in between both rooms, goes back into his room, pulls out a bag of guns and starts shooting back through the wall again. Really cool idea. stuff, yeah. And as they destroy the wall in between both rooms, then Frank jumps through the wall to take out the pilgrim. (laughs) So cool. 
That was such a Punisher moment. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. And really, need, really needed and really earned, I think, um, at this, by this point in the series. It was just, it's so over the top. It was like, I've shot a load of holes in that dry... Like, literally, if he had a just kind of shot, like, in the, the gun and just made the outline of himself... <laughs> in the drywall <laughs> and then jump through it would have been even better yeah. but but it felt like we were right back in at the start of this season back in episode two i think it was where we had the shootout in the motel um where frank had, had done a really good bit of planning but here we have pilgrim doing a good bit of planning knowing that someone's coming for him because he got that phone call from the schultz saying that frank thinks that uh, pilgrim has amy so he knows amy's somewhere around and that means frank can't be far behind so i love that we do see a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of planning from Pilgrim here. Uh, thought that was a that was again something really needed. Oh, I, I'm yeah. This it was just good. Yeah. So the elevator scene at the end of this fight, as uh, Pilgrim takes Amy on one elevator and Frank tries to go into the second elevator and is met with a bunch of New York police officers, and for no real reason, Frank beats the hell out of all three of them including taking one of their telescopic batons, opening it up and beating holy hell out of one of the guys until he falls out on the ground of the elevator. Like, this isn't Captain America in an elevator with a group of Hydra men around him getting beaten up. This is the Punisher beating up New York police officers doing their job, responding to a call where two people are shooting at each other in a hotel room. Um, Yeah, I, I'm totally gone on Frank Castle now. I really don't get him as a character. Yeah. I don't get why people see him as an anti-hero that they want to root for. I don't get why people see him as a hero that's protecting the innocent because he seems to have no sense of right from wrong. He seems to have, well, I want to go there and if you're in my way, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. And that's it. I, I agree, Chris. I think that's it, definitely. Right. I think... Um, that and to be honest that's all i was taking from that elevator scene i think the thing that made me switch off was not so much that he was beating them up it, because he was beating them up um but obviously they're gonna be alive some of the bits seemed a little excessive like there was one with the bat on to the face and i thought okay would you do that because that could kill him yeah. but it was effectively when he double taps uh one of the cops who's on the ground effectively knocked out unconscious or whatever um it's all done and dusted and he goes back and hits him a second time right and for me that was where i thought that would not be frank castle yeah. because he's gone okay they're out the way they're out of my way where i want to go but they're still alive and to do the double tap effectively but mm -hmm. with the the truncheon i was just like Okay, that seemed unnecessary. It was a really small thing, really subtle. You may not even have necessarily caught that. But I just kind of felt that seemed inconsistent. And I think a lot of my issue with this episode is that people behaved inconsistently as to how they had been set up previously, mm -hmm. at least from how I was interpreting their characters. And that was kind of one of my big issues here. And I think that you know, it went from a really good fight scene here to just being kind of undercut by then what happened next yeah. for me. Um, and uh, yeah, that that felt like the whole thing um, throughout this episode, sadly. So I'm agreeing with you. Uh -huh. I even noticed the, the the double tap at the end. The, and he just, again, whacks him with the baton, but he lit it like out of his hand. And I went, oh, that's strange. Mm -hmm. Um hmm that 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 that's violent 
Um, I like the fighting in the elevator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, both of you were right. Frank fighting the the police to the level that he did is out of character. Yeah, Frank being as violent as he was was out of character. But the actual choreography of the fight scene, I was like, cool. This is the trying to literally. It was trying to be their Captain America Hydra scene mm. in a small elevator yeah. with uh, armored cops because he loses his gun uh, and he but he doesn't fire on them and I think you're right look we get the they literally did the whole scene of the name of the episode is said in the episode uh-huh. it's like he is the whirlwind yeah. he travels in a straight line and destroys everything but he's getting to his point of contact yeah exactly he's getting to the, his destination God help what gets in the way and it just seemed that they they Steve leaned in heavy to that. He was like, "I'm gonna make you understand that Frank is a yeah, force yeah. of nature, and I'm gonna make you understand that like he is just out of control." And God help you. I suppose that's what they did. Yeah, and I I suppose Chris actually you you, you expressed it really well in terms of the whirlwind in that. It's the sheer randomness of it. But I think for me, that came across as inconsistency. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, he does that to the cops. And and yet then he kind of shows mercy to the pilgrim, um, you know. And then, and I can understand that as well. But it's just like, I think you don't quite know what's going to happen with Frank. Who he's going to spur because maybe Amy said something in his ear, or it's actually his own mercy, mm-hmm. or who he's not going to have mercy with. And I suppose ultimately that links in with the whirlwind um, metaphor as well, because it is just that it's completely um, a chaotic system that is the Punisher. It's random. Uh, who knows what's going to happen in his head or, you know, any given Sunday type thing, really, with the Punisher. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I think that works, but sometimes it just feels weird um, yeah. with what they've done previously. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I want to talk about the 80s style hanging from the roof of a car. <laughs> yeah. Or from the hood of a car. Really? Well, Come on. <laughs> I know. It was so, I literally, this, what, this for me, was straight out of the 80s film and the the 90s film. Yeah. It was literally that, like, over-the-top Rambo action where he runs, jumps on the hood, and, like, has no plan of what to do next. It was Terminator <laughs> 2, right? It was it was the T-1000 from Terminator 2, Robert Patrick, chasing after the car, jumping on, jumping on the bonnet and seeing if he possibly could get inside the car and save Amy. Um, yes, it really did feel like exactly like that out of a out of a movie and when he rolls off the hood and you're going well he can't chase the car anymore so you know what's he going to do you would have thought if you had someone like micro in the show he would take down the license plate and then use micro to trace it and then go to wherever the pilgrim is going to go or something like that so you'd have some involvement there but here it's just man versus a car yeah or or frank has you know a spur gun on his ankle Mm -hmm. and shoots out the tires i mean exactly something like that because yeah it it felt very um much 1980s uh cop duo uh drama on 
some kind of network TV. Uh, and I, <laughs> you I, stole I, my friend. Yeah. I'm going to get you. Uh-huh. I'm going to jump on this car. And I think I and shouted it. Yeah, I think I shouted at Derek. I was like, will they just break so that they force him off? And then, okay, he yeah, did swerve in the end. I was just like, because it is. It's one of those kind of really annoying uh, old tropes now. Of, I don't know why you shouted at me. I had no control over it at all. Uh, let's get on to bullet point number three, because this is probably my favorite character moment from the episode, and probably because yeah. this character does exactly what I wanted the characters to do from the start of the series. Um, bullet point number three, Curtis brings David to the cops. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good choice, right? Um, I, lo- I love this kind of uh, interplay here because we had the Schultz talking to Pilgrim saying, um, we need you to go and get David because the Punisher's gotten him. And he goes, yeah, no problem at all. How do you want me to do that? Because you've got the girl. And Pilgrim goes, yes, of course I do. And then you have the phone call from Pilgrim to Frank going, I'll give you Amy for David. And Frank goes, yeah, of course I have David. Um, and then the rest of it plays out as if Frank has David inside of his caravan effectively we have uh, Pilgrim coming along with Amy they have the fight in the junkyard um, as they beat holy hell out of each other with the promise that uh, whenever Pilgrim wins and works his way through Frank he'll be able to get David who's uh, inside he negotiates with Pilgrim to, to release Amy and that all works I think that was quite interesting we actually have frank having a conversation and sorting it out and um, they beat the hell out of each other with chains with canisters with everything that they can possibly find at the junkyard a really brutal fight once again and i suppose this is this is again not my character frank castle is not my character because they get to the end of the whole thing and pilgrim goes well i know now that you're about to kill me and then you're going to go and kill the schultzes can you just spare my children and frank releases him and frees him and and says that's okay um once again, as a bit of a pacifist, as I probably would come across to some people, if they just had that conversation earlier and Frank had found out that Pilgrim was actually being forced to do this because the Schultz had said, we're either going to bring your children up well or effectively, did they threaten to kill his children? Because that's what it sounded like. We have two choices here. Either we can take care of your children and you go and do what we want you to do. Or the other choice is what they say to Schultz. So if Frank had had the conversation rather than just punching him over and over again, would that have resolved the whole thing? Yeah. Can I say one thing? And I I know this is going to enrage some fans and make everyone else laugh. Martha. Mm -hmm. This was their Martha moment from Superman versus Batman. Donald Justice. Mm. This was literally it. It was like, he has kids. You've lost your kids. Oh, no. Hey, Frank, I heard you couldn't save your kids, but maybe I can save my kids by pleading with you. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. That was it. And what it was ma- I suppose like- what makes it funnier, Chris, is obviously they have a Martha Kent in this show as well. So we have the actress yeah. that played Martha Kent in Smallville as being one of the Schultz here, the person that actually threatened to kill the kids. So, yeah, good call. <laughs> it, it was just when I, I just... As soon as he said that, I went, oh, no. Because, to be fair... The, the fight scene in the junkyard, this was either going to go one way or the other for me. And I think it actually landed middle of the road, right? Um, which is quite strange. So I was very fearful as soon as they both started picking up metal blunt instruments yeah. that I'm like, oh, no, we're going to get a repeat of the bloody gym scene. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. this is going to get pretty graphic. And they didn't. Yeah. They, they kind of went middle of the road. They used the implements, mm-hmm. but it was shot in a way that didn't... Now, it still tore up the guys, and God bless the makeup artists. Yeah. Um, 
but it didn't get uh, like as violent as I thought, which we were going to see the the pilgrims kind of chain gloved hand tear through the Punisher's skin, mm. like we saw the the the, the weight tear through that guy's head. Yeah. Did it feel a little bit like a WWE event, No Holds Barred, where you can use any implement from around the place? Garbage cans and canisters and chains and all that kind of stuff. It felt a little bit WWE to me. Exactly. It was until, like, for me, it was up until they grabbed the canister. And he's just, like, bashing him and going, At least Frank's evolving. He's moved from barking to growling now. Mm. And just kind (laughs) of, like, which is, it's a good thing. He's no longer being a noisy pit bull. He's being a growly, quiet pit I don't know. <laughs> and considering he's in a junkyard, you expect to keep the dog metaphor as a junkyard <laughs> dog, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this point itself, obviously, is about Curtis bringing David to the cops. The best decision in the show. John, you were about to talk about this a bit? Yeah, I mean, well, I I, I want to just talk about the intricacies as well of the 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 swap for David and Amy as well. I think mm-hmm. that was really nice how that connected in with like the the fight scene in the hotel. Also, then this junkyard face off between um, the pilgrim and 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 Frank, as well as then as you say with Curtis bringing David to the cops. I, I thought that was nice how this deal really could never be done, but they all thought that it could be, and I, I like the intricacies of how that kind of. Uh, threaded out into these different elements yeah. of the story. I thought that was really good writing and, and storytelling. Um, in terms of the junkyard, again, I, I think it felt like, um, you know, we've seen the Pilgrim shot to bits, scraped ever since he met up with his former gang. And, like, I've kind of been expecting him just to sort of break into pieces at some point. <laughs> and, like, whether he even had enough... Um, energy or strength to actually have this fight with frank in the junkyard and even frank himself is yeah. carrying an awful lot of cuts bruises uh, as well and i i think that's it it's kind of i just want some of this violence to mean something yeah um you know certainly when you from season one had it mirrored in the life of the army where people are killed yeah. and the consequences of that violence are, are shown through that young kid uh, going through the therapy and through Curtis's, Lewis, um, yeah. yeah, Lewis and, and the other veterans going through that circle mm-hmm. uh, of trust and, and trying to um, really come to terms with what went on. And then you have this where it means nothing. Because they ultimately could, you know, it is like the Terminator. They could have just had the, the conversation and not yeah. had the fight. And yeah. that would have been something brand new, wouldn't it? it? It kind of felt like one of those Mel Gibson fights from Lethal Weapon 4 where you know they're all too old for this shit, but yeah. they're still doing it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It really is. And, and, and then it kind of, you know, I, unfortunately, um, I, I can't stop railing on it here because the thing I absolutely loved and then again as i say it got undercut was that i would absolutely have expected curtis to bring david to the cops and he did and i was like this is brilliant well done what great uh character sort of writing here this is exactly what you would do you know he's doing the right thing here he's taking david to the cops to mahoney but because of doing the right thing he's actually putting one of his best friends one of his former army mates 
into a really tight position because yeah. he can't do this exchange. And that's why I loved how this exchange, the intricacies of it, and Curtis doing the right thing really... I thought it was excellent. I thought it was really, really good. And then again, it's undercut later on by something that Curtis does. Um, and of course, we'll come on to that in our in our next point. But uh, yeah, I really, at least you know, for bullet point three, I really like the fact that Curtis took David to the cops. Yeah, he's pretty much saying, "I'm done with this." We thought he was a couple of episodes ago. You know, there is this absolute trope of superhero stuff, mostly, uh, anything to do with vigilantes, mostly, which is don't trust the cops. You can't bring the cops into this. And then, you know, as we said earlier on in the season, they're trained to do this stuff. That's what they're there for. They've dedicated their lives to it. Sometimes you actually need to trust the cops. I love that Curtis makes this decision. And Mahoney's there kind of going, yeah, okay, I'll sort all this out. This is a senator. That's fine. Do you want to press charges? The senator goes, no, no, I've learned a lot about my family here. And now I'm going to break ties with them. There's no blame on Frank and Curtis here. They're all fine. Curtis is just trying to sort out the problems that have been thrust upon him by Frank, effectively. For me, I'm just repeating what you said. This, for me, was the most in-character moment of this whole episode and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we've seen the anguish on Curtis's face, and we'll kind of move on to it now in the next bullet point, but when you see Curtis drop into his bed mm-hmm. after he sorted out Mahoney and sorted out David and everything else, like, you can see the man is just tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just like, it's over. Yeah. Ah, And he just, like, you can see for that split second, he's like, I don't have to deal with this anymore. I'm not Frank. I'm not Billy. I'm not this type of man. He was out and he keeps getting pulled back in. (laughs) I'm going to go for every 80s metaphor that we can. Every 80s catchphrase quote. It's just like, I was out and you pulled me back in. (laughs) He is our hero character, really, Curtis. He does the right thing here. Let's get on to this bullet point that we've all mentioned. Bullet point number four. Russo dies alone and Krista lives on. Um, As you mentioned, Chris, Curtis is standing finally back at home. He's been away for such a long time. We don't actually get a moment with him and his girlfriend, which is what I thought we were going to get the end for for Curtis uh, at the end of the show, where he actually does get back to his girlfriend. And well, he did put her up in that hotel to protect her, and she seemed in pretty good form with him a couple episodes ago. Um, Thought we could have had a little wrap-up with that, but I love the reaction from Curtis as he gets this phone call going, oh, God, what is this going to be? And, of course, it's his worst-case scenario here. It's Russo on the other end of the phone going, I'm in your basement and I don't want to die alone. And and you just see Curtis just going, I couldn't care less about this yeah, his, at all. His reaction was priceless, I have to say. You know, he was tired. He feels like it's now all behind him. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah surprise there's the russo in a box that comes uh springing out um and uh yeah yeah the just the look on his face um yeah and obviously it's a reference to the conversation that he had with frank when they were staking out russo's place a couple episodes ago where frank was going to him you know there's people that when you're in war with them when you're standing right beside them you're gonna die for them there's other people that when you get home and they ask you to do the same thing you absolutely won't go anywhere near them and frank saying curtis you're that guy for me Well, Curtis seems to be that guy for everybody. Everybody seems to think Curtis will always stand beside them no matter what they do. Think of what Russo's put this guy through. You know, everything that Russo has done has led to Curtis effectively killing a guy, which he never thought he would do as a as a healer, as a medic. You know, um, everything that Frank has done has led into that as well. Russo's totally done with these guys. And I love that what he does here is just go, "Eh, you know what, Frank, 
you want Russo, I don't want to be any part of this, calls Frank up, even though he never admits it, he calls Frank up to send him in to take out Russo. Yeah, I mean, I think this is what undercut the okay. the previous point for me. Uh, I'm like going, I don't know, but do army medics take the Hippocratic Oath um, like normal medics? I presume they do. Um, certainly uh, watching reruns of MASH with my dad back in the day, it seemed that they did because some of the yeah, big yeah. storylines in that was about treating their enemy soldiers. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of like going, yes, in this instance, Russo is his enemy. I, I, I get that. And I, I get the rooftop conversation, and I can see that that would have a, have an effect. And yes, maybe uh, Curtis just has was done, and even the Hippocratic Oath could not save him to do something. But I think if you're going to take the trouble to pick up a phone to call Frank, pick it up to call the ambulance or the police, given that he's just taken David off to the cops to do the right thing. And so... Again, this is really my perspective. It just felt it undercut everything. And I'm like going, Curtis, what are you doing? And this was, it just felt messy to me. And for me, I suppose the call from Russo was, I'm dying here. I'm in your basement. I want you to sit with me until I'm dead. And I think what Curtis was calling Frank about was, well, Frank, you're a better friend of his, and I can't get involved in any more of this crap. He couldn't have saved him is what he feels, I guess. Yeah, And then he sends Frank in. Now... Maybe it's a mercy killing kind of thing well, that's, in that sense. But then it doesn't fit with this whole thing that Russo still doesn't understand everything that's going on. Yes, but you're making the guess that Curtis is sending Frank in to kill Russo. I was surprised that Frank didn't walk in, sink to the ground beside his former friend who doesn't remember anything that's happened and has told him so. He doesn't sink down to the ground and just lets... Russo die from the injuries from Madani. Frank walks in and shoots him twice in the chest and then walks away going, you don't matter to me at all. And this character of Russo, who we watch now for 26 episodes of a show, still doesn't know really why he's dead. People have told him, but he doesn't yeah. know and doesn't yeah. realize why he's dead and why he's been murdered. He has ended the Punisher season two being unpunished for his crimes because he doesn't really know what they are. He's just been murdered effectively by Frank for something that yeah. Frank says he did. So I don't know whether Curtis was sending Frank in to kill him. I think Curtis was sending Frank in to go, he's your mate, you deal with him. Yeah, maybe. I, again, I, I think it, it it all gets a little bit confusing, uh-huh. uh, doesn't it, really? And I wonder whether it's that there is way too much to do in this final mm-hmm. episode um, in, in terms of concentrating on these two kind of storylines, really. Um, and I think it... it, it hints at a bigger structural issue of the series but um to be honest yeah this was just bad writing for me yeah i i I can't i can't defend it i can't i tried in my head because i wanted to like this show Mm -hmm. i wanted to like this season i wanted to like this episode but just every minute that passed outside of just the curtis kind of doing the right thing i was like what we uh what like, literally, this was me. Da- I was downstairs watching it last night and I, for a second time, and I'm still going, no, I d- did I miss something? No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, this just... Because I thought maybe, because it was late the first time I watched it, maybe I didn't pick up on stuff, or... No. Even if you had given Frank two minutes to sit there with him, to, like, literally, if you gave this a two-minute scene where Frank tells him why he's being... He's about to be punished. Mm-hmm. Why he's dying. 
Like, you killed my family. We were best friends. Blah, 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 blah. Two minutes of exposition. Yeah. Yeah. That solves that. Exactly. And, and it feels like the reason why they didn't do it is because the audience has seen that playing out on screen. But that doesn't matter when you've got characters who need to have motivation for doing the things they're doing. Yeah, if exactly. it's required for the character to have 30 seconds of dialogue, which repeats something in the show that one character doesn't know and the other one does, take that time, use those characters to talk it out so that you can have a reasonable impact here in what's happened. No, I agree. You know, it, it absolutely feels, as I say, it feels like your whole purpose of what you did with season one for these characters dropped in your final episode of the show because... Yeah. You went, oh, what do we do with all these characters here? And then we have this odd moment, which Curtis calls Mahoney, and Mahoney and Madani arrive, and they stand over the corpse of Billy Russo. And am I wrong here? But does Madani have a bit of a smile on her face as she goes, hey, the three bullets I shot at that guy killed him. Awesome. Uh, Maybe I shot five. Maybe I'm the one. I'll take credit for it. And then the two of them goes, who's Frank Castle? You know, they have the little 80s moment between Curtis and Madani kind of thing where they're you know about to give a high five for killing the bad guy who doesn't know he's a bad guy. Yeah, it, it's just weird. I mean, it really is. I think, um, do you know, I think Mahoney is the most believable of these characters after this. And even then, that's kind of pushing it because he basically doesn't slap these two in irons. I mean, how many passes do New York Police Department cops give to people Mm -hmm. and it's that they don't give any and here um you know mahoney says it himself you stuck a gun in my face you've just brought a kidnapped senator back and yes the senator doesn't want to press charges fine but you know this is all starting to accumulate up a bit and i'm like going this makes no sense and then yeah the whole madani thing like that's not how I wanted her character to be, if I'm totally uh-huh. honest. Um, I'm just kind of disappointed. Um, it's like with the confrontation with, you know, lo and behold, Krista Dumont, who is still alive. That just seemed catty in the end. It seemed unnecessary, and it just didn't seem like her character. Madani. For, for, yeah, for Madani. Yeah. And then you have this scene were, you know, it's like kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, laugh, laugh. Um, and and then she goes off to the CIA, which she was railing against in the first. So for me, Madani has been completely undercut. Yeah. Um, and I'm really disappointed because I love that character. And in one episode, she's just kind of done stuff uh, that I don't understand. At least Russo dying meant that someone died in this episode that, that, should have done and i think given that opening of this episode yeah. it should have been madani krista and him and you know that should have had those meaningful deaths that really impacted and instead we get a really just i don't know makes no sense to me yeah. i'm sorry yeah so i called this last episode i was like is she really dead yeah and i i we all thought yeah she is who falls out of a third story window and that blank look on your face? Like, well, it was a why? poetic ending. It was a well written ending because of how the character started and because we'd learned over the course of the series that falling out a window was her first fear and that she sees yeah. her father dying on the ground beside her as she's dying or as she's closing her eyes for the last time. It is unbelievable when Madani walks in the door to that room 
and sees her strapped up as if she's obviously been worked on by the same doctors as Stephen Strange and Doctor Strange <laughs> movie. You know, I'm wondering whether she's going off to Camertaz to get her arms fixed, so just like Stephen Strange. You know? She could do. <laughs> you never, you never know. She's just got pins all the way through her body, and the only reason for that scene is once again, as you said, John, is to undercut Madani's character by just throwing crap in her face. Or Dumont is going, oh, I hope my beloved boyfriend is still alive and you didn't kill him. And she goes, yeah, I did. I put three bullets in his body. Yeah. See you later, lady. You know, it's like, what are you doing? And she's just said to Mahoney, I don't want my badge and gun because, you know, yeah. I- I'm out of this. I'm checked out. And then she goes to effectively, um, you know, to begin with, give sympathy. And then she doesn't get the right answer. And does something that's massively unprofessional for a cop. I mean, I know this is a comic book series, but I was just like, I'm sorry, this is just horrible. It's so, so bad. (laughs) She's the whiskey-chugging cop with no rules. Yeah, yeah. Do we not see this yet? (laughs) And then Mahoney is the cop that lives by the rules. He's always on the rules. And, like, just... This scene... First of all, Dumont should not be alive. No. No. They killed her off. It was, as you said, Derek, it was poetic. Mm-hmm. It was a nice end. They literally brought her back. And the only reason I can think of this is because if they had got a season three, yeah. she would have been Jigsaw Part 2. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe. And, like, literally, you killed... Basically, she goes even more crazy because she is brilliant. She's a doctor, so she is quite smart. Yeah. So that plus... The, the 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 jigsaw craziness could make quite an interesting villain, right? Yeah. Um, and that's the only reason I think they could they would. So instead of I said instead of her face being broken, her whole body's broken. Yeah. And basically, that's that she would just wear the broken jigsaw mask. And as we said, having Frank Castle with a female antagonist would be a really interesting idea, since his biggest weakness is. Protecting women and children. And if he had a female yeah. antagonist, yeah, that may have actually caused some interesting questions for Frank in season three. But we're not getting a season three, unfortunately. Um, no. And I th- kind of wonder if they thought they were going to. And as you say, Chris, is that why they're writing so much into this episode to keep so many characters alive and on the chessboard that they can use in the third season? Yeah, it's because some of them are seem absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, that is just my thing. This like, And we'll get on to bullet point number five in a second. Um. But essentially, that's what they did. They they tried. They they. This was a scramble of an episode mm-hmm. to tie up loose ends while keeping some somewhat open and loose. So when they got to a season three, which they probably thought they were going to get, yeah. because Daredevil got one and Jessica Jones got one, and they the the writing wasn't on the wall probably when they finished this. So they were like, okay, well, we need to scramble and we need to get a few things done, but we need to keep these characters here, here, and here so we can use them. And you can kind of see even, and we'll talk about it in a second, where they were going to go with it. Mm. Yeah. But the trouble is, they did that to detriment of the characters. They did that to detriment of the overall uh, just storyline. And the one, the biggest thing is, Dumont shouldn't have lived. No, no. no. Like, as you said, unless there was, they introduced magic that healed her. <laughs> like, she only had one broken arm and one broken leg from that. She should be in a full body cast traction. And her face should be wrapped up. But her face was just slightly bruised. Mm-hmm. One arm was fine and one was in the yeah. pins. And I'm like, 
You fell from a third story window. Yeah, face first. Face yeah. first, because she was face down. Surrounded by um, glass, remember, yeah. guys, as well. I, I, I think as well, you know, I think before we kind of move on to bullet point five here as well, it's just like, for me, I think with Madonna, I don't feel as though I've seen anything that justifies that change in her. Um, you know, those touch points outside of Curtis and uh, Frank Castle, you know, Marion at the CIA and her boss at Homeland Security um, just have been dropped. And, yeah. I mean, the thing is, given the amount of time she's been working sort of off record, you uh-huh. know, there was this whole thing about she was in charge of an entire section at Homeland, and she's gone completely kind of rogue. So her boss at Homeland Raffi, you wanted that moment where she's kind of, I'm done with this. Yeah. So that you knew that and you could justify maybe this slightly different Madani, but it just happens in front of you and you kind of go in just needed, you know, like you say, like that moment between Frank and Russo, that moment between her and Rafi mm-hmm. that, that really makes her split from Homeland rather than suddenly she says it to Mahoney don't bother giving me my gun and my badge. I'm kind of leaving. Well, he, he's, he he, he's in the police department of New York. <laughs> yeah. You say that's a Raffi. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, I think uh, I think we should probably move on to bullet point five. I'm getting um, flashbacks to our Fantastic Four uh, conversation, <laughs> and I hate this. It's episodes of a show that we've been talking about for a month and a half. There are some good things in this episode. Absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about one of them that I thought was quite good uh, bullet point number five is no bullet wasted yeah the thing i liked about this scene really is that it's amy at the beginning of the scene it's amy that arrives it's not just frank shooting up another house amy's arriving at the schultz to make them answer for killing her friends and she's been given the opportunity by frank to punish these people to effectively tell them what they did and how it affected her life yeah if it wasn't for the tensions rising between eliza and anderson and amy in this scene it wouldn't have gone as badly for the schultz as i don't think um, but I do like that it's Amy that that is there pointing the gun at Eliza. Um, Eliza's looking at the knife on the table and is about to go after Amy when the bullet arrives through her head from Frank. Um, I kind of like that opening to the scene. Yeah, so I really like that Amy just pushes them uh, about you know the death of her friends, the murder of her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think then with Eliza uh, being the one to get it in the head uh, from Frank that... Uh, that's kind of slightly deserving more than Anderson because Anderson's very shrill scream after that happens <laughs> would suggest um, that she definitely wore the pants. Yeah. But that also makes me kind of slightly surprised that he would then have the old, uh, you know, kahunas to shoot himself in the mouth. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, uh, he did. You know, you, you, you get that classic sort of blast of gunfire from the dark windows of the the Schultz mansion. Yeah. And, of course, now David is an orphan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A rich orphan, but an orphan nonetheless. <laughs> an orphan nonetheless, yeah. Uh, I think at his age he's probably probably going to be all right. Um, the ones that I'm really more concerned about are Pilgrim's children. Um, they've lost their mother. Their father's coming back bruised and broken and covered in blood still after his fight from Punisher. They're standing outside reunited with their father as their possible caretakers. One gets shot in the head in the window just in front of them. And while they're hugging their father, the other one, as you said, Anderson, puts a bullet in his own brain. They're very close throughout this episode to multiple people talking about murders or being murdered. I'm wondering whether they're going to turn into pilgrims themselves in the future. 
Maybe, um, because you do get that nice moment where Eliza leverages them yeah. with uh, Pilgrim, but um, again, for for the two lads, they are kind of surrogate grandparents, I suppose, yeah. to an extent, and yet no longer. It wasn't what I was expecting the ending to be. Yeah. Uh, so that's a positive. <laughs> um, <laughs> Frank just killing her, uh, killing Eliza. Just like, and the pool, blood pool, just kind of going slowly, and then also like, okay, so Frank is the Punisher, and he does punish here, but really, why was Amy there? He literally went, "All right, little Punisher, you go in and get your first kill, and you make them know it was from you." No, no, I don't think she was ever intended to kill. In fact, when Frank arrives, he comes in with the gun and says, I had two bullets, but I guess I only need one. Uh, that's what he says to Anderson. He was going to give a gun, two bullets to Anderson and to Eliza to make the decision to kill themselves and leave their son alive or stay alive themselves and suffer through Amy going to Karen Page, releasing all the info, releasing the video footage that he recorded off the conversation on the phone. Well done, Frank. Wow, I didn't realize he was that technologically minded, but very impressive that he's recorded the entire conversation on the phone. I can't do that. Um, But that's the way the whole plan was supposed to play out, that Amy would reveal she has all this information, they have the video, and they're going to go to Karen Page, or else the two of them shoot each other or themselves. I think that's where it was, because you can't have Amy as a killer at the end of the series. He's had the conversation with her before, after she used the gun, and then he was the one that killed the attacker earlier on in the series. So you can't have Amy end in the series as a murderer. Okay, but also, the stuff in that video is not that incriminating. Oh, really? It wasn't that bad. It was Frank saying, I know what you've done. I know about all these people. I know this. And them just saying, I want my son back. No, Anderson confirms that what Frank's suspicion that they killed the teenagers, the Russians, uh, etc. And Anderson says, yes, I did. And if I did all of that, guess what I'm going to do to you? Um, yeah, he's confirming everything that Frank is saying okay. and also okay. threatening him. So it's quite, it's quite a bit on there. Uh, I did feel it was one of those... That would never happen. This guy is supposed to be really, really smart. He'd never confirm all of that. He'd be pretty good with his words, right? Yes, exactly. That's kind of, that's why I even went, he probably went, yes, you believe I've done all that. So imagine. Yeah. Like literally adding the word believe negates that whole video. <laughs> um, But okay. So look, it was interesting. And then when he gets outside, Pilgrim being alive was just... Just, just. <laughs> I was just shaking my head going, yeah, okay. I knew that was coming. Yeah. Why? You've left someone who is essentially your equal, who can glutton the amount of punishment that you can put out, who literally just because you felt sorry for him, because he's killed millions of hundreds of people at this point. Hundred, at least, he's, he, he's at least into 101 by the end of this episode, probably, <laughs> The Pilgrim. And it's just because you don't want, you didn't want his kids to live without a daddy that you let him go. And, like, wh- and why you've just shot the Schultzes, who's now, I know he's an older kid, but... Yeah, like, you've made them 
like to live without their parents, his parents. <laughs> well, no, I like, think that, I think that's the important point again from Frank. I know I sound like I'm justifying the things that they've chosen to do in this episode. I really don't mean to, but Frank does say to the parents somehow out of the crap that was that you've brought your child up in, somehow he's a good human being. And by you guys killing each other or killing yourselves, it means this guy will be able to live on and do good in the world. If you guys stay alive and continue down the path you're going down, you're going to drag him down with you. And I've got all the evidence and all the things in, in mind to take him down. The Pilgrim really was being pushed by them. He was he was just a tool by the end of the season. I think this conversation in the room, again, the best compliment I will give it is, it gives indications of what how good season two could have been. If this conversation that Frank has was spread out over the course of the season and they just dropped Billy completely from the series, we didn't even need to see him back, to be honest. He could have just been in a coma and this season could have played out as Frank versus the Pilgrim and the Schultzes and ended the series where Frank accepts that Pilgrim was being controlled by this family and they are the real villains. That could have totally worked, right? There's so many indications that this could have been a good series from this scene. I think, I, I mean, I think so. I think for me, um, you know, without also contradicting myself, because mm. I'll be talking about contradictions, but it, it felt, I, I've talked about the mirroring, uh, that reflection of the Pilgrim and Frank in, in terms of how they were getting increasingly sort of bruised and battered yeah. and bloody. And I think that, this did feel right that Frank would allow him to uh, survive because, in a sense, it's almost like the army. You're given orders to do something and you go and do it. Like, he did that with by shooting uh, the the guy with the hood on in the season one. It, it was an order. Yeah. Uh, this is what the pilgrim's doing. And he understands he can empathize with the pilgrim's position mm -hmm. and with the, the two children being used as leverage yeah. and that he would want to try and at least rescue his children um, to that point. And um, so I, I can kind of see that this feels right um, uh, because Frank, I think, ultimately sees himself in John Pilgrim. Yeah. Uh, so that's why he gives John Pilgrim the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, then the that. difference with the Schultz is, is that he cannot see himself in there. They are incredibly wealthy, you know, one percenters, privileged, privileged uh, white one percenters that are leveraging other people's um, emotions and family, including the Pilgrim's dead wife, as well as the kids, mm -hmm. for him to go out and and kill people in order to um you know move their own agenda forward yeah. which is power um and putting their son in a position of power that will benefit them so yeah. i i don't see the i don't think that they they're not the same and so i can understand why he would give mercy to the pilgrim actually i mean on the day of his wife's murder they're calling him up to manipulate him into going after and killing frank castle rather than allowing him to come back and you know, commiserate with his children about the loss of their mother. You know, they are abominations of people. But I love if we would have actually seen some of that throughout the series yeah, rather exactly. than being told that in one episode. Okay, maybe I'm with you there. If this had have been throughout the season, if this had have been like that's that's kind of what we wanted, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we want. That's not what we got. Yeah. So the reveal that he kept him alive. For me, based on actually this story, 
is terrible. Okay. Because it just, it, like, it just undercuts everything about the Punisher punishing. That being said, this felt flat, but when we actually get Frank and Amy in the bus terminal, mm-hmm. that didn't fall flat for me. Yeah, let's wrap up the show. Obviously, we had John Pilgrim outside with his children. He's closing off the storyline where he's now going off to live his good life with his with his children. Um, as you say, Chris, we have the uh, the wrap up with Amy um, being sent off to go scuba diving. Yeah, and this for me was a beautiful scene. Like, yeah, th- th- this this showed the relationship between these two characters. Mm-hmm. This showed that Frank. Like she is, I make the joke, the little Punisher, but like this was basically his daughter. Yeah, exactly. And we find out actually why this whole season happened because basically Frank follows her to the bathroom where she's being attacked Mm -hmm. because he also noticed. But the only reason he intervenes is because she called him Rough Road. Yes. And he found that funny and he he laughed about it and it kind of showed he felt a human spark. Mm -hmm. Like, that's good. Like, that was a nice touching scene that, like, literally wound it back to the beginning and kind of knotted this great relationship, which I slagged a few times and I'm fully aware. But it actually was one of the most well-written character developments Mm -hmm. and relationships of this story. Yeah. Yeah, I, re- I really liked this, and I liked that it was Curtis that had shared the information with Frank, that this is what she always wanted to do, was become some form of scuba diver, finding treasure, you know. thought that was a nice little touch there, that they had that conversation about Amy, and closed off her character quite well. So a, ni- a nice ending for Amy, at least. Yeah, no, I-, I thought this part of the roundup felt really uh, right. I, I think... Um it's a shame we just didn't have a bit more connection with Amy and Frank for me, uh, because I, I, I still felt this um, falling a little flat, but okay. I love the meaning behind it. And I think, as you've said uh, previously, Derek, you could see how good season two could have been if they'd focused a bit more on Amy and Frank's relationship, yeah. because, you know, you do have that really a great moment where he talks about his family with her uh, earlier on in the season. And there is that moment where he won't let her kill that guy, uh, you know, at her where she was hiding out after she had left. And some of those I just think needed to be carried through uh, a bit more, but it did feel right that I think what doesn't feel right for me is Madani in the CIA. Yeah. Um, it's just like, that is the the organization that she was absolutely dead set on exposing in yeah. season one. It also seems like she's working covert ops because she tries to offer the job to Frank to kill a bad guy since he's the good guy with the gun. Isn't that what she was railing against specifically in, in the CIA, that they didn't have ops that were controlled by the right people? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just... Um, it's, it's really weird. Um, I just kind of was like, okay, so you've completely changed and we really don't know why fully, mm-hmm. to be honest. It, it, okay. It's Russo shooting her in the head. Maybe it's switched something off like <laughs> empathy. Um, yeah. I don't know, but we've just not seen enough of it. Um, and I'm like going, you're doing what you set out to try and uncover and show was illegal, yeah. which it is. And now you're doing it because you, even though you've questioned Frank throughout this season, you've now come to a conclusion, which we've not really seen, where you're going, well, Frank is right. 
in how he approaches it, yeah. it seems to me. And I'm like going, well, it wasn't even then. I think it was earlier. I think I, I turned to Derek in this episode and I said, I've checked out. I, I really have because there's too much going on here that makes no sense for me. Yeah, but at least Madani is really happy that Frank's got his own job murdering teenage drug dealers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh God! This is, yeah. Okay, hold on. I, I, before before we even get to the, the the murdering, the only thing I can think of is this was some form of setup for Warzone or like, oh, not Warzone is a word. No, War Journal is the one that's set in New York. They, there's an arc where Frank goes covert ops. Mm. I can't remember. I, it, it's back of my head and I'm, I'm sorry fellow defenders but essentially that's what I thought they were setting up for season 3 they have a legitimate job offer for the Punisher where he can use his specific set of skills to take out bad guys and he refuses the job because that's the Frank I guess we're going to get on the TV show uh, yeah. like, are you kidding me Re- no. genuinely this is supposed to be someone that's supposed to be fitting in with the Marvel Cinematic Universe a person that is not punishing anybody anymore because we've talked about it before, and again, maybe it's my pacifist side, but punishment is not shooting somebody in the head and them dying because they have no reaction to what's happened to them. Punishment is making somebody live with the consequences of their actions, and Frank is very good at that. Yes, he kills some people, but that's mostly in the Max comic book run, not the central Marvel Cinematic Universe run. And can I just say, the one thing that put the nail in the coffin of this show for me and has now put it at the lowest point of all of the Marvel Netflix shows, is this final scene where Frank is standing (laughs) in a room of teenage drug dealers who are having this petty, prissy little argument about who called who over to have this this final settling of their bad blood between the two between the two groups frank walks in skull shirt on leather jacket on two guns in hand screaming while he murders 20 people who we don't know anything about and then up on the screen comes in loving memory of stan lee are you kidding me that is absolutely despicable of the showrunners here that's absolutely awful i cannot imagine stan lee a man who has always talked about acceptance and always talked about bringing people up and bringing people along with him. I can't imagine that he would want his legacy to be over the top of Frank Castle murdering 20 people. He had no involvement in the creation of of Frank Castle. As far as I'm aware, I believe he was created a couple of years after Stan Lee had hung up his writing for Marvel comic books. But the idea that he would be really happy that they finished a series with in loving memory of Stan Lee over the death of of people, I, I just thought it was absolutely abhorrent. Oh, I I mean, it was was really weird because... You know, when he stood outside, I had no idea. It was just kind of like teenage drug pushers yeah, uh, having this kind of gang warfare. And again, it's one of those things where that's left to Mahoney. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It just kind of, you know, Frank goes after the mafia. He goes after the corrupt CIA people. Uh, he goes after the, the corrupt one percenters. And politicians. That, and the yeah. pol- <laughs> that makes sense to me. Uh, and, and instead, you know... Um, he's coming in all guns blazing because you know a, a brother has nicked someone's pocket money. It's I mean it well, ju- it, yeah. no, but you know what I mean. Like it, it, it seems a bit weird, and then it's kind of unfortunately that just the Marvel automatic without thinking puts up that because okay, I get what they're trying to do, but it's like do you not think about what that just follows? Even if they'd put it right at the end of the credits yeah. or something, or at the start of this, it would have rested better. Yeah. But you've, you've, it's just weird. Yeah. I sat there 
gobsmacked. Yeah. The only connection Stan Lee has to the Punisher is he approved the name The Punisher. Right. Basically, it was it was Jerry Conway, Don Romita Sr., and Ross Andrew. That was it. They, mm-hmm. they, they created The Punisher, and basically, Stan was on his way out at this point, and basically, he, he had some control but not really and it was just basically he greenlit the name the punisher right. that's his connection and and that's fine I, I totally get that they are just trying to respect the fact that stanley passed away yeah and, absolutely you know, that's absolutely fine and i totally understand the the want of the makers of this show because without stanley and without all the work he did in the marvel universe you never would have gotten to this point where we're making two seasons of a show about the punisher so of course give the man some respect i totally believe that but as I think a really good choice, John. You've just mentioned it there. If the opening of episode one of of season two of The Punisher had in loving memory of Stanley at the start of it, it wouldn't leave as bad a taste as the closing shot of this season with Punisher murdering people saying in loving memory of of Stanley. That's that's where the bad taste is in my mouth. Not the fact that they're saying we thank Stanley for all his work creating The Punisher. He didn't. The fact that they put it over the top of him murdering a a bunch of people. That's not the way I want to remember this series even. Yeah. For me, this was the most comic booky, over the top craziness of Ed of this whole two seasons. Yeah, like he comes in in the trench coat and just opens fire. That's not even the Punisher we've known for two seasons. Mm-hmm. Like they just literally went, you know, we'll we'll give the fans the Punisher from the comic books. Yeah, from the Max series. Mm. Like that was it. Actually, do you know what would have been better? Like, and it literally would have taken a couple more seconds, which is Frank goes in and goes, I called you. And they're like, oh, no, it's the Punisher. And he goes, you get out of the game now or I'm going to kill you. And then walks out and calls Madani back. Maybe, maybe. And like, that would have been even more. And then you, or like Frank beats them up and then goes, because it's obvious Frank called them, but it's just the way he walks in with the trench. Like... He's never worn a trench coat in his life in this season. So why did he suddenly put the trench coat on? Like, it, like the skull... Because comic book covers, Chris. That's it. I yeah. know. Yep. It was just... Anyway, gentlemen, I, I, I can't... I don't want to go round in circles again. Yep. So I think it's about time we start wrapping up the, this our review of this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does anyone have any notes? No, I think I spoke about all of the notes uh, throughout this episode, I think. Yep. Uh, done. Um, let's get on to our defense. John, do you defend The Punisher Season 2, Episode 13, The Whirlwind? Well, um, this is really tough for me, actually. Um, but no, I don't defend this episode. Um, I give it two and a half bullets, rebars, and gas canisters out of five. Mm. Um, do you know, there is a lot to like in this episode, as it stands. Um, I loved the opening. I just wish it landed. I loved Curtis um, handing over David. I just wish it had landed. Um, I loved... The hotel fight uh, with the intricacies of the deal and the uh, junkyard fight and the intricacies of the deal. And I thought having Amy being street smart and clever and really um, that ending with Amy as well, where she was the one that was able to give the Schultzes this this chance. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really, really good. Um, and I thought the comedy of the, the back alley doctor as well was just really, really good. But I, I think, um, you know, in isolation, they were great. Um, as a whole for this episode, it just didn't come together because a lot of these things were just undercut at each turn. Yeah. Um, 
you know, um, you know, uh, Madani's attitude and and the fact that she's suddenly become everything she was fighting against. Um, I think um, Krista Dumont suddenly waking up in a hospital room. Curtis, on the one hand, doing the right thing, and on the other hand, forgetting his central tenant, which is his Hippocratic Oath, no matter how annoyed he is. Um, it just kind of was weird. And, um, you know... For me, I think as well, it's kind of slightly wrapped up with me losing patience for the season and yeah. that there's more fundamental stuff that doesn't sit right through the structure of um, this whole season. And I, I think, unfortunately, this has happened on the last episode where I don't defend the last episode. And I think that is down to me kind of losing a bit of patience about how the season has gone, really. Mm -hmm. um, I think... From my side, if Billy, Madani, and um, Dumont had died as a consequence of that violence at the start, and you'd left it open to do the 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 big thing with the Schultzes, um, Curtis giving uh, David back, I think I would have definitely defended that. Uh, instead, I think there were too many contradictions, too many undercuts, um, and I think too much that... Uh, unfortunately having to be packed into this final episode as a result of how the whole series itself um, was paced and was structured. So unfortunately, no, I don't defend this episode of The Punisher. Oof. I'm wondering if this might be a first for the Avengers TV podcast. Chris, do you defend this episode of The Punisher, Season 2, Episode 13? Um, no. I'm, for all the reasons we've discussed and more for this season, if I'm looking at it as just an episode, this was a failed episode. Mm -hmm. This was low. It was, it was quickly pushed together. It was trying to wrap up too many threads too quickly. It didn't give each of the scenes enough time to breathe at all. Um, it did some strange contradictions. Um, it made some weird choices to bring back characters or not kill characters. I was literally expecting to see a post credit scene where we'd see Billy on a table again and his eyes popping open. I know, I know. Like, literally, I was expecting it and I was like, come on, you might as well. You, you like, you're doing everything else. Um, and it was just, which is, this is all a shame. Because they're underneath the roof of this season, of this episode. There is some gems. Mm -hmm. And I really, and I don't like being negative, but it was honestly so many things. It's like, you, you can only slap a baby so many times before it slaps you back. Um, is that even a phrase? <laughs> well, it is for the Punisher, okay? <laughs> yeah, slapping babies. Didn't think we got yeah the Punisher's there. He might have well been. I just don't understand why they did what they did. And I, I want to just put this out there. If you enjoyed this season, if you enjoyed this episode, that's fine. That is your prerogative, and we are happy you did. We wanted this to be better. Yeah. Um, but... If you enjoyed it, you enjoyed it, and that's all that matters. If you enjoyed it, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your feedback. Please email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. We won't be covering any more of The Punisher, obviously, because the show is now finished, but we'd love to hear your thoughts if you enjoyed the series. Um, yeah, exactly. So, we're, we're edging closer to the first. Derek, do you defend this episode, the finale of Season 2 of The Punisher, Whirlwind? 
I don't defend this episode of The Punisher. I can't. I think, actually, this episode of The Punisher pushes the show into what people used to say about the first season of Iron Fist. Um, people said the first season of Iron Fist was a mess. We didn't think that when we watched the 13 episodes, the way we watched them and talk about the episodes and put all the pieces together. What this episode showed me was that Steve Lightfoot seemed to have great ideas for a show, and either he was forced to put Billy Russo in the season and didn't know how to, and the rest of the writers took care of that, or they came up with a structure for the season which was based on Billy Russo and Frank Castle never meeting, and then they had to work it all out, because it just seems like a mess. I know how writers' rooms work, and generally everybody that's involved in the team to write the show sits in a room and crack the story and work it all together, and then people go off and write individual episodes, and they come back and they continue to break the story together. It feels like... This last episode was Steve Lightfoot going, well, all this stuff should have happened earlier on in the season. Oh, God, I guess I put it in my episode then. Um, right. Oh, no, there's something else that should have happened. Oh, and you've killed Dumont. So I guess I'll bring her back to life for a scene with Madani so that Madani can say something completely out of character in my last episode of the show. I don't know. I don't know really what happened to what is and was one of the best shows that came from Netflix. Um, the acting in the show is magnificent. I absolutely love John Bernthal. It's his best role that he's done, and I've seen him in so much stuff. It's the best thing he's done is this role as Frank Castle. But the ending ruined it. His final moment, which is supposed to be wishful filming for, I think, comic book fans who gave up after three episodes of the series because the character of the Punisher is too complex for them. I'm a member of one Facebook fan group for the Punisher, and it is the most contradictory, inconsistent place I have ever been for comic book fans. You know, I'm a fan of Nick Fury. I know all Nick Fury fans have the same kind of ideas of what they're fans of in the character. John's a fan of Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange fans have a very similar opinion about what they like about Doctor Strange. If a newbie who's watched a Punisher TV show goes into this Facebook fan group for the Punisher and goes, what should I read? Because I've seen this this show. What should I read to see what the Punisher's like in the Marvel Universe? They go, they always recommend read the Punisher Max series where he slaughters people. Because that's kind of it. That's probably the best Punisher. It was six issues of a comic book. Get over it, lads. The 40 years of the Punisher. Was he a good character? Do you like him because of that? No, not really. I just like him killing people. I don't want a complex story about my Punisher. They all criticize this show because it's giving a complex character of the Punisher. I'm now criticizing this show because it tries to provide some type of resolution for those fans who aren't even watching it anymore. It gets too brutal for fans that are watching it for the complex character, and then it tries to appease those fans with this character who just likes to kill people. Frank Castle is not the Punisher. Frank Castle should just be named, renamed the serial killer, and that's it. Yeah, I, I I think that's I think that's the the issue uh, in many respects, and maybe that's more with people that uh, like myself who aren't as such mm -hmm. Punisher fans. But you know, he's been in Doctor Strange uh, comics. Yeah. Uh, we've had Magic Bullets, and you know, he's completely different in that. And there's some really good. You know, he works well with others, and all of a sudden, you get the impression that he doesn't work well with others. And it's like, yeah, he's always got a grudge, he's always got a bit of a snarl, but, you know, he can still work with Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yet, in here, it's like, I can't work with anyone. Um, and it's, or, you know. And doesn't really know what his motivation is, and doesn't really know whether he wants to kill people or whether he wants to save them, and doesn't really know whether he wants to protect people, because every episode seems to be a new opinion from Frank as to what he's supposed to be doing, you know? I will say one thing. 
And I know we've said we'd talk about the cancellation of The Punisher. So maybe this is the part to talk about it. Um, the cancellation of all of the Marvel Netflix shows, I suppose, we're going to talk about in the future. Uh, we have done wrap-up shows for the full seasons of these of these shows in the past. I don't want to do a wrap-up show for The Punisher because I think we've talked about it enough given this ending of the show. Um, if they thought that this would give them a third season of The Punisher, Netflix were absolutely right to cancel The Punisher on its own. If it had been on any other network show, if it had been on Fox or ABC in the US and they were doing episodes once a week, it wouldn't have got renewed for a third season, I don't think. Um, this is not the character to stand behind and go, why are you cancelling all your TV shows, Netflix? This is the character to go, oh, this maybe is the reason why Netflix are cancelling it, because the quality of this show dipped so badly in this last episode, and in some of the episodes throughout the series where we talked about why aren't they giving any motivation to the bad guys? Why aren't they having a bad guy here? Why are they taking away the punishment of Billy Russo from season one? Why are they doing that? That seems crazy. Um, I think, taking in isolation, the decision to cancel The Punisher by Netflix, who saw this full season before putting it out there, I think it was the right decision. I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. If I'm remembering correctly, I enjoyed season one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I look back fondly on it. Me too. Um, there has to be stories here. Um, and a lot of them will come out after the two years of uh, NDAs and embargoes are, and the contracts are kind of up. And we'll get some stories in that time. I'm assuming, Derek, as you said, it was... There was a plan for this season and it was derailed slightly because they wanted to add certain things in. And it was just like, go sort that out. And yeah. it was like, all right, I can't deal yeah. with that. I've wrote my story and you go do, you fix it there. If this was, this wouldn't have even made it past the mid season, Mark. It would have been pulled. Um, it's Netflix did it for, it's on Netflix, but if it was in mid season on a standard broadcast, like it would have just been pulled and replaced with something else. Maybe, yeah. This ending has soured all positive thoughts I've had for this season. This is the last episode. Mm. Um, and I think that's also why I un I understand that people haven't been talking as much about it yeah. this season. Because we also, we know, it's it's also, it's Marvel, it's Netflix, it's, we know there's a lot of things going on there. But I was still expecting a bit more about it around, yeah. on, on the on the wider interwebs i i think it's uh, i think for me similarly i i couldn't envisage um a season three yeah. you know maybe um people in the know knew that a season three wasn't going to be coming ultimately whilst maybe. they were doing this because it was effectively done over last year with all the other cancellations and so on and maybe um that some of these elements here because the biggest thing for me is that you know you have billy's story here um with and franks and and uh, madani's here in new york and then you have pilgrims and franks and the schultz's and amy's story and you know if i'm quite honest as two separate threads as a concept starting off i really like them yeah. and if i'm honest the first three episodes of this season of The Punisher, I absolutely thought were really, really good, where it focused yeah. on the pilgrims. If they had done more, like you were talking about um, the, the Terminator, Sarah Connor, that kind of um, trip around the US where he's still undercover, 
Um, he's still sort of, you know, off the record, um, being chased by the Terminator type thing of the Pilgrim. Uh, you had, you know, these Magnificent Seven, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid kind of, uh, even Thelma and Louise type of, um, big points, um, of, of that idea of that American landscape on the run from someone bad. I think this would have worked an absolute treat and giving more light on Schultz's story and David's story. Yeah. I think mean, it really would have worked. In the same way, I would have been excited. I thought Billy Russo was really well played here uh, by Ben Barnes. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Really, really good. I love Madonna's, but it just feels that both of those characters have been undercut by trying to flip and squeeze in these two stories into one. And unfortunately... Unlike the Spice Girls song, two doesn't become one in this case, and I think it needed a different structure and a different focus, and I think that's what fundamentally where the problems arise for this series, yeah. is that we have things going on in this last episode of The Punisher that, quite frankly, should have been happening in probably about episode seven, eight, or nine. Uh, and I said that also about elements that happen in episode 12. So... Yep. You know, I, that's where I think that it, it went massively wrong here, uh, ultimately, for The Punisher. Yeah, that's definitely enough from us about The Punisher. Yeah. I think we've talked well enough on that. Let's get on to some feedback from our fellow defenders about the final episode and the series of The Punisher. Um, we received some emails in. Our first email comes from our fellow defender, 084, who says, It's amazing how such a simple, straightforward show can just deliver and do its job. No more, and definitely no less. Even though Punisher's first season doesn't have a lot of moments that stick out for me in a brilliant way, I also couldn't tell you anything in particular I didn't like about it. The second season, par for the course, does what it sets out to do, and does it well, and it's got a few more bright spots this time around. I know people call John Bernthal the Punisher. He's as much his character as actors like Robert Downey Jr. and Vincent D'Onofrio, but Ben Barnes knocked it out of the park, and I just can't not call him the best actor of the season. He plays basically a different character from when we saw him last, and adds an amazing performance to brilliant writing. I won't lie, it's still so incredibly stupid that he has, what, four scars, and he's acting like he has has it worse than Dominic West did in the movie? But that's where my issues with the character end. I thought his relationship with Dr. Quinzel, I mean uh, Dr. Dumont, uh, would be a bit cliche, and it was. But somehow, they made me care about it, and I don't know why. And I'm not sure how people are going to react to his death. Mid-apology, no words from Frank, just... The Punisher being the Punisher. I was looking forward to those two just sitting and talking, making Billy realise what he'd done to Frank, and it was taken away without flourish. I'm not really mad about it. If any character is going to do that, it's Frank Castle. The other villain for me was a bit meh. Josh Lucas did great with what he was given, and that fight scene he had in episode 10 was brutal, even for the Punisher standards, but I just didn't care, not when his story was peppered in amongst what went on with Jigsaw. I was a little spoiled going into this, and I knew Frank had two problems. They would never cross paths. I thought it would be okay, but it's just a little grating. It's weird because the first three episodes were amazing. Put together, they're the perfect Punisher movie we never got. If I was given the opportunity to rearrange the season, I would have Frank kill John Pilgrim in episode three, and then later on have the Schultz family recruit Billy to take Frank out. If those characters were put into, to say, The Preacher, I might have been even more into it. But any time John Pilgrim was on the screen in New York, with the expectation of that one brutal fight, I just wanted to get back to Jigsaw. I love the character of Amy and how she's the polar opposite of our protagonist. Seeing Frank thrust into this relationship and caring for this random kid was so much more intriguing and emotionally effective than the scenes with Micro's kids last year. The onions being chopped when they said goodbye at the train station were a nice touch. 
Curtis's bigger role was much appreciated because he was one of my favourites from last season. And Amber Rose Riva did a great job as Madani, although I wish the writers had given her more to do than just being hung up on the events of season one. The 10th episode of this season was the best episode of the whole show, possibly the most well-done episode Netflix and Marvel have ever put out. Such a great character study, the most brutal fights, and a heartbreaking ending. I do wish they hadn't taken away his killing those women in the next episode. I thought it was important to show Frank the consequences of the way he does things. When he found out Billy killed them ahead of time, I felt like it took away any lesson Frank could have learned. But regardless, in the moment, that single episode was perfect. Oh, and that ending scene. I kind of hated it. Unnecessary, no closure, no important information added. We could have left it at the bus station. We really could have, but that's fine. It's fine. It's not fine. Hoping we haven't seen the last of this iteration of The Punisher. Things are more than bleak for Netflix and Marvel, but I have hopes to maybe see these characters on Hulu someday, possibly. Regardless, recasting the character in a movie or new TV show will be a huge mistake for Marvel. A Jared Leto with face tattoos sized mistake. Until next time, True Relievers, Excelsior 084. Thanks so much, 084. Some really, really good thoughts in there. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, 084. Uh, for me, I think you touch on a lot of aspects that I also had mm-hmm. uh, issues with here. You know, and things that I liked as well. That is the thing. Um, I thought those first three episodes were just fantastic. Yep. And I thought Billy Russo was amazing. And I think separately, or as you say, even just doing it in a different way, it could have really, really worked. But by keeping them as these two strands separated um you know things just kind of got lost you know i kind of think back to where madani was confronted by the pilgrim in new york and then that never went anywhere he never came back to find out um from her where frank castle was Uh so things just got lost and and i do feel on the madani yeah being hung up on the events of last season Mm -hmm. i wouldn't have minded that as much if it was talked about in, in a in a in a better way because in the end what we end up with at least from the way i see it at the end of this is mindani is the biggest disappointment for me because she's just turned nasty um yeah. i feel and that's not who i think she is um so yeah thanks really so much for that feedback i think excellent yes thank you oa4 and i agree a lot of what you have in there um i think it's fine, it's fine, it's not fine, is basically yeah. the epitome of this season for mm-hmm. me. It's like, it's fine, it's fine, it's not fine. But th- thank you so much for your feedback. Yeah. Chris, do you want to take the next piece? Sure, I'm going to move on to some additional email feedback we got from Alex Anderson, who actually sent us two, the first one and a second clarification. So I'm going to go through, read them through, and we're going to jump in and discuss what he has to say. Hey, guys. My thoughts overall on season two are mixed at best. I really enjoyed the storyline between Frank and Amy against Pilgrim, although I would agree that the backstory with Pilgrim and the Schultz wasn't ever fully fleshed out, and I feel it's mostly because they had to shoehorn in the Billy Russo story, which to me was a letdown completely. If that's how it was going to end, then why not just have Frank put two in Billy's chest at the end of season one? Really, I think they've wasted Ben Barnes' role this season. I was never fully invested in the relationship between Krista and there was little meaningful interaction between him and Frank. I think they'd have been better served to hold off on a jigsaw story until a later season and focus heavily on how this season started with the first three episodes which were best by far. The remaining episodes had their moments but also dragged on nowhere at times. 
it was great to see Karen one more time, and I was glad for that. I really liked that ultimately Frank ended up helping John get his children back. I just felt that there could have been bigger impact if the story had more depth. However, I did get a bit misty-eyed when Frank sent Amy off to Florida. I do love The Punisher and I'm hopeful to get a third go-round, but this season just didn't deliver what I was hoping for. Thanks guys for all you do in making a great podcast, Alex Anderson. Alex actually came back with a second email to say, Hey guys, I'd like to clarify a bit on my previous email. I don't think that Ben Barnes did a bad job. He was great. I just felt that Billy Russo's arc this season for me really dragged down the show by taking away from the Pilgrim Shoot story that started out so well. I think having two main storylines going through the season obviously for me made it tough to get really invested in either. There were some fantastic moments this season that I loved but on a whole season one was much better. Anyway, keep up the great work and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the remainder of The Punisher Season 2, Alex Anderson. Thank you so much for that feedback, Alex. And yeah, of course, look, never need to clarify, we all know Ben Barnes did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, it's like Prince Caspian rides the sea again. Um, I'm right there with you. I think it's pretty much what we've said. There was almost to the point too much story in this. And unfortunately that meant... No one really got invested in either. Um, but yeah, guys, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think we've said it really. It's Russo's story just spread way too thin this season, um, taking up way too many episodes that should have been focused on new antagonists and, and new situations and new ideas going on. You know, if this season had ended off with Madani bringing Frank back in episode 13 to kill Billy Russo, who she's been dealing with in New York while he's been on the run from Pilgrim out in the wilds of of America, as John said, keeping that momentum going from those first three episodes, as everybody seems to be saying in our feedback here, that would have been a so much better season. It is so interesting to me that everybody can see this show and can see how to fix it, but everybody's kind of seems to be on the same point of uh, not liking the season and how what we were given. Yeah, I mean, thanks, Alex, for for those mm-hmm. thoughts. I, I'm really uh, there with you, to be honest, and I, I feel that you know ultimately. Deep down, I really liked both of these story arcs. I just think either uh, they needed to be organized differently or, yeah, one is for season two, one is for season three. Mm. Um, because, you know, you do a Billy Russell one in season three and you go full on Jigsaw. You don't kind of, you know, tiptoe around the fact that he is or he isn't. And yeah. it's a bit like 108 saying, just go full jigsaw. What have you got to lose? You know, if you're going to have the type of violence that means nothing, then you can have someone with a face that's so scarred up and so crazy that he can do anything he wants. I mean, some of these shows can get trapped. And I think, uh, you know, that certainly having these two separated would, would have been a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but thanks so much, Alex, for the feedback. Really good to hear uh, your thoughts. Thanks, Alex. We also have some feedback from Facebook uh, on episode 13 as well. Michael Walling says, I thought Billy's end was fitting, that the Punisher unceremoniously shot him to death despite his apparent sorrow. Billy was full-on narcissist, not giving a care about the lives of his followers as long as his goals were achieved. I believe Dr. Dumont would have suffered a violent fate once she had served her purpose for Billy. Interesting. I also find it convenient that Billy's apparent sorrow came only when he was dying. In real life, people can reform their way of thinking and living after a personal shock like a near-death experience – or serving a prison sentence, but the test of time proves their reform as true or false. 
In Billy's case, his amnesia initially complicated this a bit, but the fact that he reverted into a violent criminal activity despite his memory issues tells me that he was never really going to change. Therefore, the Punisher had no need for talking things out with Billy. He only needed to do one thing, and that was to put him down like he should have done at the end of season one. Thank you, Michael, for that. I think I think that link, as you say, to season one, that he should have done it then, uh, for me, certainly makes sense. And uh, I think uh, it's a really good point of view that you bring about whether he should have had that conversation with Billy like we were talking about or whether, uh, you know, you have this unceremonious sort of uh, objective sort of slightly detached shot uh, to effectively take him out. So, yeah, thanks for the feedback, Michael. Yeah, I'd probably say the only reason that he should have shot him at the end of season one would have been because he shoots him at the end of season two. Um, I think letting him live with with the mistakes and that he made and the killing of the people that he loved, which is what Billy constantly says. He loved Frank's family. They were his own family, and he's the one that effectively was involved in their deaths. Um, I think that's what should have happened to Billy. He should have been living with that. The fact that he never gets his memory back or never has this moment where he's told about it just seems like a little bit of a waste for me. Um, he was going to die of those injuries from Madani, those three bullets that she put in him. He tried to fix himself and he was going to die in that room. So there's no reason why he needed two more bullets. It's almost like a mercy killing from Frank walking in and killing him so he doesn't have to die a solitary death alone in this basement. But you get none of that from Frank. Frank says absolutely nothing of that. He doesn't say, I'm going to put you out of your misery, Billy. Um, even that would have been enough, I suppose, to say something about what the character's doing. Here it's more like, eh, we don't really want to spend any more time with this character, so shoot him, and off we go on to the next storyline. Um, it's a shame to end the show when you focus so much on Billy Russo throughout this season. We were all expecting that they were going to turn him into the jigsaw that we know, where he's totally accepting of who he is and how crazy he is and moves on to be a big villain by the end of the series. Not really. He kind of dies quite sadly, not knowing that he's a murderer and a killer the way everybody else knows he is. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure whether that um, would have been the best thing to do. Maybe killing him off in season one so that he wouldn't have featured so heavily in season two and we could have actually focused on the other characters. Maybe that would have been a way to do it. But thanks so much for your feedback, Michael. Yes, thank you so much, Michael. Uh, not much more I can say, so I'll, the guys have said everything and I agree with them. Hey there, it's Derek back with some additional feedback that we got in after we recorded the episode. Some positive stuff, so definitely wanted to record it and put it into the final podcast before releasing it. Uh, Tina Brown says, When Frank shot Billy, my first thought was that they borrowed heavily from John Wick. While it worked for Keanu Reeves' character in that movie, I don't think it fit at all with this situation. These two characters had met before. I'm kidding a bit, but this was a deep relationship between the two. Whether or not you agree that it should have played a central role in the storytelling this season, it did, so this ending was very flat. Uh, I think we've mentioned, Tina, that's pretty much our feeling. If you're going to include Billy so much in this season, you do need to have a big moment at the end of the season for these characters rather than just, you know, shooting him in the stomach. Thanks so much for that, Tina. Kristen Hall says, at the beginning of the episode, I called what was going to happen to Pilgrim. I don't know why I thought he would live, and my husband said I was insane. All season long, I was hoping for Micro to show up. I was so disappointed he'd never made it onto this season, and we didn't see Beth again. But I loved how it ended. It seems Madani uses Frank for secret assassinations now. That seems like a good relationship for the two of them, not having a relationship officially. Hope we see the Punisher again. Thanks so much for that, Christian. I might have been a bit confused by that then. I thought that Madani was offering a brand new role to Frank and Frank was saying no I've got my own job kind of thing so uh, interesting maybe they would team up in the future and maybe he would do some black ops work for my daddy uh, thanks so much for the feedback Kristen
onto Jimmy Alexander, who says, I feel kind of the same way I did about season two of Jessica Jones. Season one set such a high bar and season two just couldn't come anywhere near it. Frank's mission of avenging his wife and kids was so personal and emotional. With this season, it just felt like he was getting involved in something just for the heck of it. I like Damien as a character, but we never really learn a lot about her background. Initially, I thought she'd escaped from a cult, perhaps, and that's why the Pilgrim was hunting her down. I think that would have made a much more interesting story. Pilgrim did grow on me, though despite my early misgivings, he was far more compelling than the Schultz's at any rate. I did enjoy Madani and Curtis. They gave us that moral contrast and balance to Frank's violence that Micro provided last season. As a huge fan of these shows, it hurts me to admit this, but I think season two would almost have been unwatchable without them. Yeah, Jamie, I'm probably there with you as well. Madani and Curtis were excellent this season, for the most part, until, you know, a couple of things that happened in that last episode there. Uh, Pilgrim, I always enjoyed throughout the season, but it seemed like it was a lot of, of promise from the character of what we would see in the future. And then we close out the season with him kind of going back and getting his kids and nothing really paying off there, I suppose. Um, so that was a bit of a shame as well. Loads of things that could have been fixed, I think, uh, throughout the season. On to Bob Phillips, who says, full of upset expectations, this finale. Prime one being, I think this is going to be good. Now, I thought she was dead. They did it with Stick. Why not Madani and Dr. Doom? There wasn't a way back. But no, just resurrections all the way. And Billy then managed to crawl and talk to, and get all the way to a garagey or with surely only his left lung working with the shock cleaning out his right. Of the boys, I didn't expect Billy to die or Pilgrim to live or Frank to return to his original gang massacring self or David to be genuinely a good man or Curtis to reject Frank to help him. Not all of them as successful as others, but all unexpected. Loved the gun battle with bullets no longer stopped by plasterboard. Hardly ever see this. And the show has reminded us a table isn't going to get in the way to emerge unscathed from the path of an Uzi. Overall, it felt a little patched up. At least they admitted the oddness in the storyline of this episode, but it's still not quite enough. Oh, one last thing. I'm guessing sterile bottle of whiskey is a first for whiskey, whiskey watch. It certainly is, Bob. Thanks for your feedback. Yeah, you seem to be about on the same page as us. Um, throughout the season, you've pretty much had the same kind of opinion. You've enjoyed most of the episodes. And then, yeah, it seems like we got to the final episode and everything just kind of fell apart uh, in the final rush to complete it in 13 episodes. And finally, Darian Moore says, well, it was okay. Not the ending I thought was going to happen, but every prediction I made in the series was wrong, so why not this time too? I thought with the show being cancelled, we might actually get that happy ending for Frank, where he kills all his enemies, goes back to that bartender Beth, and now has a stand-in for his family with Amy and Beth's son, uh, but I should have known better. Chris had an idea about how they could have wrapped it up with Schultz's story earlier in the season while Billy built up his army. I like it, and maybe since they were going to get kill the Pilgrim, uh, he could have at some point had a run-in with Billy, where they got in each other's way of killing Frank and put Billy on Pilgrim's list, and after Frank helps Pilgrim get his kids back, they go through Billy's armies together to end it. Just a thought from me. I do like how Frank realised that his planned punishment for Billy had no effect and just killed him mid-sentence. I also think, thought the ladies that were both dead. All that said... I'm a little disappointed in the end to this season, but definitely defend the season as a whole. Hopefully we get some cameos in Jessica Jones season three. Also, I'm slightly confused with Dr. Doom's story with her dad's initials being KM and her last name being Dumont, but I thought it could have been a great spot for the Marvel character Killmonger. Interesting one, Darian. Yeah, there definitely was no particular payoff for that other than that that is her father's name, I suppose, um, and that her father's surname was different to her name um but yeah it always feels when you see something like that that it's going to possibly be a character from the marvel universe uh, this time 
it wasn't, of course. Uh, it seems like Punisher plays a little bit safer with those things. Doesn't seem to be allowed to use a lot of them. Uh, yeah, there was definitely some other ways we could have fixed this series, having a more focus on the Pilgrim at the start of the season, having Billy build up his army towards the rest of the season, and having possibly Pilgrim and Frank go up against Billy at the end of the season when they've resolved their issues. That could have been a great way to go. Yeah, really good suggestion. Thanks so much for all the additional feedback. I'm glad there were some points that people really enjoyed about the series that we may not have picked out. Above all else, really, the one thing we should just reiterate, every single member of cast here was really, really good. Nobody let the side down. It really was just that final episode that didn't really nail the landing uh, the way we would have expected it to throughout the season. Obviously, the big thing, they didn't know the show was going to be cancelled either. Um, they put together this show of 13 episodes, hoping that it was going to give another great story into the pantheon of good Marvel Netflix stories, and unfortunately this one seems to have fallen a little bit flat. Uh, back to the guys. Thanks so much for all of our fellow defenders who've been sending in feedback throughout this series and all the other series. You can continue to send us feedback even when we're in off-season. Just email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. If you want to talk to us directly or any of the other fellow defenders, come on and join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast. Of course, we've still got loads of stuff to talk about. Our discussion about Doctor Strange issue 11 will be out this week. Uh, we've also got Captain Marvel, as John mentioned earlier on, coming up on March 8th. Yes, and of course, we will be back for the final Marvel Netflix show, Jessica Jones, Season 3. Mm-hmm. Crossing fingers for that one, guys. Yes, fingers crossed. We will know the, day, the exact date soon, and as soon as we know, you guys will know too. And hopefully they're going to end on a high. I'm really, really crossing fingers that we'll get a moment where Melissa Rosenberg has a chat with all of her fellow showrunners and says, guys, how about we get all of our cast back together for one last shot at the end of Jessica Jones season three, where possibly she meets up with Luke Cage and there's a wedding attended by Matt Murdock and attended by Claire Temple and attended by Danny Rand. And we get all of the cast together for one happy occasion at the end of Jessica Jones season three. Yeah. Not sure whether that's going to happen. It is Jessica Jones after all, but that would be a fun way to end them all off, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be good stuff. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. Talk to you again really soon. Thank you so much, fellow defenders. It's been a journey, but uh, at least it's done now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the Punisher, not Defenders TV podcast. Mm-hmm. As always, fellow defenders, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Punisher and, of course, for the series of The Punisher. It is always a great pleasure to discuss these shows with you. But on that grenade into a crowded room, I'm off to give myself a mercy killing uh, after that episode. Uh, But we will be back with Captain Marvel, Jessica Jones Season 3, and of course, Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye. I'm one of your hosts, Derek's. I'm not Derek's. Who's Derek's? <laughs> Episodes directed by Jeremy Webb. We've spoken about him a few times because he's elected. Delected? So, I, that, that's. that's that is exactly what I think is... Sorry, I'm after hitting my mic. That's right. Because I, I, I put my head in my hands. <laughs> Badly wounded, Russo attempts to get help from a whiskey-swilling back-alley surgeon who, true to his name, dumps Russo in a back-alley wheelie bin after taking all his money. As Russo wakes in... 
<laughs> Sorry, I'll start that again. Sorry.